You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Man, man, yeah. Amen. Y'all, y'all can be seated, and it's uh, again, it's great to uh, be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited about continuing uh, thought out of God's Word, and you know, I've. Uh, God's just kind of like locked me down with some things because this morning's message, um, actually we'll only make it through a portion of it. We, I, I believe we may be here for probably uh, at least another two weeks in this particular uh, thought. So your handout will ride for a couple of weeks actually. Um, I want you to find your place with me if you wouldn't in Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 31. Mark 4, 35 through 31. And, and as you find your place there, um, you know, we've been talking a couple weeks now about responsibilities of a godly family. You know, and when we think about the fact that there's, there are responsibilities in a godly family, we also have to realize what a family is. Now, family situations can be a lot uh, different than because we normally, we, we just immediately think about a mom, dad, and kids. But there are a lot of people who have, uh, they're, they're single, they're, they're, um, they're, for whatever reason, they're alone, maybe, you know, uh, uh, a widow, widower, and they live alone, but they're the only person in the house. And maybe there's folks that they, they don't have any children or can't have any children, and there are single moms, there's single dads, there's, uh, and then you got families that, you know, they could be three people in the household, it could be 13 people in the household. And so there's so many different dynamics when it comes to just mentioning a family. So I want to make sure that today we hear this from the perspective of just the fact that you're living a life that you choose to live godly. And if that's so, what are some responsibilities there? Because here's something I know. No matter what's going on around us, the, at the end of the day, we're responsible for us. You know, I'm not responsible for you in the sense that I can't make your choices for you, nor in some ways should I. There's one thing about one thing to take counsel, but then to try to, you know, be living responsible. Somebody else's responsibilities gets tough. And there's some people that are actually weighed down because you try to live other people's responsibilities. That doesn't mean we don't take responsibility to help others, but you get my point. At the end of the day, you and I have to answer for us. We, we have to answer for us. That's why this morning's message is entitled simply owning each day. And, and, and honestly, I, I look at it as each day because that's how it is. You know, the songwriter said one day at a time, sweet Jesus, right? And it seems like sometimes that's all you can take is one day at a time. Some people can't take one mom, moment at a time. But just one day at a time, owning it as a godly person, what does that look like and how, how does it go? Well, there are a lot of places that we could go in the Bible uh, for that. I've got one particular place that God's burdened my heart to, to start off with. Uh, we'll look at several other places as we walk along this journey. But this one in particular covers a decent amount of what I want to share with you. And so this morning, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, we find Jesus with his disciples. And they have been walking with him. They have watched him perform so many miracles. Crowds are just gathering around him, pressing in on him. And here we find them by the seaside. And this is what happens on the verse 35. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Father, uh, just ask you to please, again, take your word. And in my heart and my life and every person in here's lives and the folks that are watching online and will watch down the road, God, would you please take your word and 
Allow us to be different because of your word today. May it be mixed with faith. May it be enlightened by the Spirit of God. And Lord, may you use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Owning each and every day. I know some folks that, uh, just talking in the last couple of weeks, some folks that actually uh, are responsible for a decent amount of stuff in the secular workforce right now, and, and, and talking to them, and they've even mentioned to me the fact that, you know, there, there are situations that arise where they really don't have full responsibility for a, a circumstance uh, or something that's happened but yet somebody had to own it so that the project could move forward. And they said, you know, you're in a meeting and, and things seem to be stalled out. And finally, you know, and, and thankfully two of our folks that we have within our church family and both of them at different times, not knowing the conversations I had with the other one, they said, you know, we just had to, you just own it. You, you, you just own it so that everything can move forward. Isn't it sad, though, that we live in a day and time or, or we live in our lives, and I'm sure it's always been this way, but it seems like lately, seems like a, of days lately, it's more and more that nobody wants to own their responsibilities. Nobody wants to take the ownership of it. So now more and more you've got people bearing more and more burdens. Why? Because somebody's got to own it or the world's just going to shut down. And you're watching things happen around you. You're watching the fact that there are so few people to fill certain positions, and now stores that you were accustomed to being open 24-7, now they have hours. Uh, places, restaurants and stuff, you never know when you pull into a drive-thru if they're actually going to be open. You know, what's up? well, their hours were normally 10 to 10, and now you just have to read the sign when you pull in because it might be 2 to 4. It's like we only can, you know, manage one shift. And, they, and so a lot of these things are happening. And what is at the core of it? I have to believe that down deep at the core of it is just the fact that a lot of folks in our day and time and could be even in some parts in our own lives, we're not owning the things that belong to us. Now, here's what I want you to understand. As a godly pers person, if you're choosing to live godly, I believe that in every circumstance of our lives, we need to discern some things. And that's the first thing I want you to get is that we have to discern the difference in life situations. This is a big key. And, and I'm not sitting up here trying to tell you that I am a professional at this or I, you know, I, I exercise all this in my life. This preaching is preaching to me. And, and, and over the last couple of weeks of kind of studying on some of these things, it's preaching to me just as hard probably, if not harder than it's preaching to you. But every situation in life is not the same. Sometimes, and I'm going to give you four questions that we need to take with us today. I'm going to go ahead and walk through those four questions uh, briefly over the text, and then, then we'll take it from there. And this first question is simply this, what's my part? I think right off the bat, we need to ask ourselves, in every situation, what part is mine? What's my part? You know, when I think about the disciples here in this text and, and what they've got going on, you know, God leads them to go into the boat, but yet they made the decision to get in the boat, did they not? They did. They got in there. They had been following him. And I know, yes, Jesus is compelling them to come along with him, but yet still they made a decision. They had seen him do all these miracles and, and, all, and, and healing the leprous man, healing the lame man. I mean, they've they, they seen all kind of other miracles. And here Jesus is, the multitude's thronging, on them, thronging around them. And, and, and he says, get in the boat. Let's cross over to the other side. And they got in the boat. They made that decision. The storm gets to rage, raging. They wake Jesus up, right? That's what it says. They woke him up. Can you imagine what that looked like? You wake him up. No, no, no. You wake him up. No, I ain't waking him up. And I don't know for sure. Maybe he woke up because they were just going, hey, you wake him up. You wake him up. I don't know those things, but I do know the Bible says they woke him up. They made a choice. They can't say that he got up on his own. They'd have to own that. What part's your part? Then we have to ask the question, what's someone else's part? Now, I don't want to play too much on this one because I'll get to it in another question because this is one part that I, I, I want to pull in from somewhere else. But 
Sometimes other people's play a part. So what's someone else's part? You know, in our, in our lives, we can simply say that sometimes people play a portion. Sometimes they play all of it. But I think in discerning out what we're, what we're going through or how we're going to handle something, we have to realize that other people play a part at times. And what part do they play? Then we live in a fallen world. Would you all agree? I mean, so what part is, I mean, what's the fallen world's part? Because you've got, you got to realize, I mean, there's a storm, right? And you say, well, God's over the storm. Yes, He is. Just talking to somebody uh, in our church family the other day. Uh, I, I, they had a tree fall in their yard. And I said, well, the insurance company probably called it an act of God. He said, no, actually, they called it an act of nature. So the insurance companies are actually getting more and more depri depraved. <laughs> but an act of nature. But, but nevertheless, the storm, it is just part of life. Just part of life. You know, sometimes we try to over-spiritualize stuff, don't we? Oh, the enemy's just trying to attack me today. What's going on? My battery's dead. Could it have been that it was time for a new battery? I'm just asking. Was it the enemy attacking? I mean, we have to discern these things. Y'all know I'm talking to, that there's people out there, right? If it's you, you don't have to admit to it but right now, but you can deal with God. But that, you know, the other morning Hannah got up she went out to go to work. Thanks be unto God, child goes to work. Can I get a witness? That is, thank God for people that get up and go to work. So, she's, she's going to work, gets out there, and she hears that infamous click. Kick, 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 right? She comes in, Dad, hey, the, the vehicle, uh, I mean, there's something wrong with my battery or something, it won't crank. I'm like, go out there. Just make sure that the, the, the cables are tight, you know, everything's tight, won't crank. I'm like, here, here's my keys, run on, because I ain't got a job, so I can, um, you know, <laughs> I can uh, take care of it. And then, you know, that's the time you're thankful that you found a cheap extra vehicle, you know, <laughs> and you got an extra ride sitting in the yard. And, and so I go out there and, you know, I, I, I jump it off, you know, check it, alternator's charging, all this stuff, run it over to the parts place. Get it checked. Cold cranking amps are way less than half what they should be. It's time for a new battery. Look at the date on it. Yep, you know what? It's about that time. And, and I go to a place where you can get batteries for half price or full price, right? Blemished batteries or full price, brand new, nice, straight up batteries and all. And, and I'm just one that my girls, she would probably have rather I put a blemished battery in it, but I can't have the girls and my wife riding on junk, right? I just, that's a plug in there, guys. I'm just, I throw, I'm throwing you something, right? So, sometimes things just happen. Even when you're with Jesus, you know? Even when you are walking in the things of God, you're, you're faithful to God. Hey, I'm following him. He said, let's go this way. Sometimes things just happen. And, and we have to really discern out. It's like, is this just, I mean, it's a storm. Y'all do realize that in a fallen world, tornadoes come, hurricanes come, all this stuff. And, 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 and we have to discern it. And we can't discern it like some people, this tornado come through the trailer park the other day. Then there was a cross that come out in a cloud off the side of the tornado. And God was taking care of all the people that are on the right side, the Republican side. No, 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 no. No, folks, it was a tornado. Tornadoes happen. That doesn't mean we, we, we welcome them. That doesn't mean we, we're, we're excited about it. We're not cheering for them. But it happens. How are you going to deal with the life if you can't just grab a hold to the fact this stuff happens? And when it happens, how are you going to respond? Then some stuff's just God's part. What's God's part? Now, granted, I know that everything that happens in our life sifts through the hands of God. I, I get that. But sometimes God is directly leading you. My mind goes to Abraham. You know, Abraham, God tells Abraham, he says, I, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac. You know, I want you to go to a mountain that I'll tell you. I want you to go and sacrifice him. And Abraham does what? He goes. You know, he, he took fire, wood along with him and all that. 
If, if, if that would have been me, the boy wouldn't have had nothing to worry about anyhow because the knife would have been dull and the wood wouldn't have burned. I, if anybody can find wood that won't burn, it's me. You'd be like, you need to just try some dried oak. Yeah, yeah, I tried that too. Uh, I even went and bought specifically dried oak. It's been aged for three years and it still won't burn, man. I don't know what it is with me. So I'm the guy that gets out the diesel fuel and the kerosene and the gasoline and stuff and just I'm like you know what it's gonna burn this time but Abraham I'm just saying that to say things could happen along the way that are just natural things but then God could be the one leading sending you there so when we think about these things how are we going to deal with stuff and and, I, and like I say I'd love to take you a little further, but what I will do is I'll give you a taste for next week. Because how you deal with these things, how you manage this, is going to determine how you are going forward. And I know that this is not an exhaustive list, but next week we will talk about the fact that you could just end up, if you handle it a certain way, you might just get bogged down. And there are a lot of people in life right now that are just bogged down. They don't know what to do. They just, they're just bogged down. They, they're just like, I just don't know which direction to go. I don't know what to do. You could get bogged down. You could get bitter. And there are people that get bitter. They get bitter at God. They get bitter at the people around them. They get bitter at themselves. Or you can get better. And like I said, I know this is not exhaustive, but these are things that you could have happen to you. And we're going to look at circumstances in, out, of, out of Scripture to talk about those things next week. But right this minute, let's just talk about how, how we perceive things. How do we perceive what's going on? And so here's one thing I want to throw out right at the beginning. We have to be careful not to uh, take things out of context in the text, nor let other people take us out of context. And, and because I've heard plenty of messages, honestly and truly, I've listened to some online. I, I have seen a couple of times in person People use this text and they'll go, you know, in it, their application is, well, everybody has storms in your life. But guess what? If you got a storm in your life, all you got to do is wake up the master and the master will calm the sea. And I'm like, what in the world are they talking about? Do you know what happened when they woke him up? What did he do, folks? Come on, help me. Well, he did calm the sea, but what, what did he do after he calmed the sea? Yeah, well, he didn't even ask him where the faith. Well, how is it you have no faith? He didn't say you had little faith, but you're right. He said, he rebuked them and said, where is your faith? So how do you take a text and say, you know what? If, if you got storms in your life, you just need to wake Jesus up as if he's asleep. And I think that's the whole, that's some of the point, is it not? He's never asleep. He's never, I know his physical body was asleep, but is he off the job? I mean, they're, there, they're with him physically. I know we're not with him physically in the flesh. He's not in literally in the boat with us as if we were in the boat on the sea in a storm. But nevertheless, think about it. You and I have to discern through some things. And the, the first thing I think we have to realize is, is the fact that that you and I are responsible to live our lives based out of Scripture. We have to discern things in our lives based out of Scripture. And so when we do that, we look and we say, God, how does it work when I need to own my own stuff? What part is mine? You know, I look at the disciples and I look at them and I, honestly, I see a lot of what happened in the life of King David. When he was there with Goliath, and we're going to look at the, there in a minute, and if you want to, you can go ahead and find your place there in 1 Samuel 17, because I want to show you a couple things there. But while you find your place, I want you to hear me. You know, here they are, and they've just been obedient to Jesus. Jesus said, this is the direction I want you to go. And I don't know about you, but I come to find out that a lot of times in following Christ, <coughs> it's not the most... It's not like a primrose path. It's not like roses and sunflowers all the time. Because a lot of times, well, all the time following Jesus, you're following in truth. And what happens when you follow in truth? There's a whole world that's not caring anything about truth. And it might be at work. It might be in, at the house. It, it might be with your friends. 
But if you're going to stand on truth, you're going to find out that there are a lot of people that don't care about truth. If you're going to stand on what's right, you know, no lying, no stealing, you know, no, no, no uh, idolatry, no, no, I mean, we just know dishonoring parents. We, we go on and on and on. Even just in the Ten Commandments, we find that if we just stick with those that out in the world that we live in, that it, and, and, and it is degrading every single day, and we're constantly pressured to go with the flow of it, right? That if we make a choice to go God's way, that there is going to be opposition. I mean, granted, what happened to them was just a natural occurrence in this world, this, this nature. It's just a storm come up. Do you know that I believe in studying out some things? I don't think that the disciples, had Jesus not put them in that boat, they would not have traveled across that sea at that particular time. I mean, those guys knew something about what that water. The Sea of Galilee is a very tricky thing. I mean, if I would have been in that situation, I'd been, have you checked weather bug hour by hour to see, like, what's going to be happening? <laughs> I wonder if Jesus knew the hour by hour forecast when he told them to get in that boat. You see, they had seen him heal people, but they had not at that point in time seen him overcome the natural things of the world. You know, oh gosh, I know you can heal cancer, God, but this is a tornado. I'm not encouraging you to stand out there in front of a tornado going, in the name of Jesus, stop. Because just as I think that if there was a bucket in the boat that was capable of bailing the water out that was coming in, you bail water. You with me? But it seems that they didn't have the resources to keep the amount of water out because don't forget, these are not novice. And as a matter of fact, he took them in an element that they, something that they knew very well. There were people in that boat that it was not uncommon for them to be in the water on a boat. But guess what? He brought something into their life or allowed something into their life that was greater than they could handle in the circumstances. And they panicked. He's there with them. How many times have you ever been in a situation where you just wonder where God's at? God, you're, you're not handling it. You're not dealing with it. You see, that's where I believe Abraham was with Isaac. I, I shared a message one time, God in the gap. Abraham is told to take his son, his only son Isaac, uh, to go and sacrifice him on the mountain. Next verse, what happens? And Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey, got the firewood and got the fire got the knife and got it all together with some service. And what does he do? He's off. He's on mission. But until he hears from God again, where is God at? Because he's up there building an altar. Don't, you, don't, don't miss it. He's up there building an altar. He's going to put his only son Isaac on the altar. He takes the knife and he rears back and he is going to plunge the knife into Isaac and, and kill him as a sacrifice. None of this makes sense. And I don't know what makes less sense. It's like, Jesus, this ain't a good time for us to sail across right now. I mean, it, 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 you know, this is not a cool time for us to be going. I mean, he's taking them across the water and stuff when it's dark, you know, and, and, and no electricity, no, you know, in, here's storms going on, and it's just like, but then here's sacrifice my only son Isaac. God, God's going to have me kill my son? All the while Abraham is in the roll call of faith. You know, you know something that amazes me? How many disciples that walk with Jesus literally on this earth are in the roll call of faith? Search it sometimes. It's Hebrew chapter 11. But Abraham, the Bible says, by faith he trusted knowing that God was not going to let him go through with that. And if he did go through with that, that God could raise him. He rears back, and then God speaks again. But what about all the time when God had not spoken? Where is God at in the gap? He's back there at the last place he spoke. What does he tell the disciples when they get in the boat? Let us cross over to the other side. In other words, boys get in the boat, we're going across. Now, if Jesus said, 
we're going across, what does that mean? We're going across. But Lord, don't you realize that we're about to perish? Do you, you hear that? Because see, all we have to go off of is what's in the text back in Mark 4. We're, we're going to get to 1 Samuel 17, but just hold tight. See, see we're, we're here in, in Mark 4. All we have is what the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and this is what comes out of the mouth. Lord, don't you care that we're all going to perish? As if he would put him in a situation, put them in a situation that he was not aware of. Have there been people that have been martyrs for Jesus Christ that God led them to the stake? Well, he led his own son there. But see, in our mind and in our culture, we don't see that as winning. We don't see that, that we don't see an outcome in that that's good for God. The reason is because we don't see an outcome that's good for us. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I believe we want to we wake him up in the middle of the storm, is it not? Or question him. Well, wait a minute, Lord. Wood, fire, that's what his son did, Isaac. He said, Father, Abraham, I see the wood, I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? And God had not spoken to him again since he spoke to him the first time. I don't know about y'all, but it makes me want to shout. It, make, it makes me want to just. He says, son, the Lord is going to provide. That's not easy. That, that's not normal. That's not natural for the flesh. And the disciples do the opposite. You better get up and help us bail because this boat's going down. And he calms it all. And they're like, Phew. praise God. Did you see that? Who is this dude? That the winds and the seas obey him. And he's like, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you? Why is it that you have no faith? 1 Samuel 17. Here's another chapter in the Bible that often gets um, misinterpreted. Let's just put it that way. And, and I'm not sitting here, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than somebody else. I'm just simply telling you because I've heard these things. As a matter of fact, I've backed away from social media some because... For a lot of reasons, but the some of the the the, the cliche one-liner stuff that I see shared so much out there, and 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 it's the kind of stuff like, well, if, you know, what's the storm in your life? And I don't, I'm like, give me a chapter and verse, please, for some of this stuff. And God will slay your giant. And they'll even use this text. That God will slay your giant. And, and you know, I've, I've come close to these things myself. But I'm like, but listen, listen to what he says. This is the story of David and Goliath, right? The giant. And let's just catch verse 10 of chapter 17 because I'm not going to read all of it and I'm not going to try to preach this whole thing. I just want to use this as an illustration. It says, And the Philistine said... I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, what you got a picture is here there, on one side of the Valley of Elah is encamped the Philistine army. On the other side is the Israelite army. And every day, a couple times a day, here comes the giant out. They go out and they fight a little bit, but the, ultimately the battle, the, the, the giant comes out and he says, just send one of your best soldiers out. Send your best soldier and let me and him fight if he wins, good. If I win, good for us. He says, I defy the armies of Israel. And he keeps taunting them with that. While that's going on, there's a young man that becomes king of Israel, King David. But at this point in time, he's a ruddy little boy watching sheep for his dad. He's faithful, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second in verse 20. 
He's faithful to the things that his dad's leading him to. Listen to what he says. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things and went as Jesse, Jesse being his father, had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight, shouting for the battle. We'll look more at the life of King David in the next couple of weeks. But right this minute, let's look at this particular point because it seems like there's a lot of godliness going on in this family. The son is being obedient to his father. Ephesians chapter 6, right? Verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. It's almost like you asking your parents why and they say, because I what? Because I said so. It's almost like God says that. Children obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because I said so. Because it's right. And what God says is right. He's being obedient to his father. His father is sensitive to listen to God's voice to come and, and, and like I said, we may look at that at another time about finding uh, in his children who the next king would be. But David is being faithful to watch these sheep. And let me just say this, when he gets called by his father to go do something else, he makes sure that there's somebody watching the sheep. Uh, this morning, uh, one of our, uh, our faithful servants, uh, one of our deacons, Blair Carver's sick this morning, asked us to be praying for him. But when I come in this morning, I, you know, Blair was not here, uh, but the discipleship group uh, was coming in this morning, and one of our other deacons is in that discipleship group, and and all. And I, I ran to go get me a biscuit this morning before I come back. So yes, uh, sinful biscuit. But anyhow, the um, I said I said, hey Wade, do I need to catch anything that Blair would normally catch before I leave out? And he said. He said, no, nah. he said, I've already went, unlocked the doors, I've checked the bathrooms. He said, I'll go check downstairs and stuff in, in a minute. And, and let me just throw this out there. If there's anything that this world needs is people that own things, own responsibilities, even responsibilities that you have to take on because of a situation where somebody else might be sick. A lot of people don't even realize that there were obligations here. You think just the lights just automatically turn on and everything's ready to go. But there's somebody that actually goes and checks and see if all the toilets are flushing and all that good stuff. And somebody come in and owned taking their responsibility because they couldn't. So David rose early, left the sheep with the keeper, verse 20, took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle for Israel. Philistines had drawn up and battle array army against army. David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brother. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Goth, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines and spoke according to the same words. So David heard, him, heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of, from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered to him in the manner saying, So shall it be done to the man who kills, kills him. Now Elab, his older, older brother, heard when he had sp spoke to the men. And Elab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart, your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And, and I could keep from reading all the rest of the scripture. Let me just kind of walk you through a few things. I mean, if, if David would have been alive today, I think he'd have been more excited about the tax break than he would have the woman. What do y'all think? <laughs> He said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what's going to be done for the person? Listen to what he says, though. Who takes away the reproach of Israel. When David walks up, David is just a young man. His brothers are much older. They're men of valor. They're, they're, they're soldiers. But David is near to the heart of God, obviously. 
And he sees the armies of Israel bringing reproach upon God's name because they were not seeing, well, for one, I think they were disobedient to the Lord. Anytime you see the, the nation of Israel being obedient to God, you always see God fighting on their behalf or fighting for his, his namesake, actually what he says, for their namesake. Now, sometimes God will fight for his people even when they're being contrary, especially when his name is at stake. And here comes David sliding up in here. David took ownership of something, but he was in, he was in obedience to God at the moment that he did. He's doing what God wants to do. There's an opportunity. He said, is there not a cause to stand up for God at this moment? He said, boy, we need to put some armor on you. And Saul tries to put his armor on. He's a much bigger guy and, and, and all. And David's like, I can't do battle in somebody else's armor. And he grabs the stuff that he knows and he goes out to fight Goliath. And they're like, you're, you're going to get killed. And he says, let me tell you a little testimony. He said, I used to keep my father's sheep. And the lion and the bear would come and they'd steal a sheep. He said, I grab them by the beard, take the sheep out of their mouths and the Lord slew them. He said, and the same God who took care of the lion and the bear is the same God who's going to take care of this uncircumcised Philistine. David just owned what was his. But he was not trying to own the battle. And many people have said, God will slay your giants too. But you've got to understand, up to that point in David's life, David had never had a giant. David's giant was not a lion. David's giant was not a bear. David's giant was not a Philistine from Goth named Goliath. Why? That bear belonged to God. The lion belonged to God. And that Philistine belonged to God too. And David knew it. So God didn't slay David's giant. David didn't slay God's giant. God slew his own giant through the hand of his servant. But see, David discerned the situation. What did David catch that other people weren't catching? See, the Philistine giant comes out and he says, I defy the armies of Israel. I defy the armies of Israel. And he had said it so long that it was ingrained into those people's heads. Because when David walks up, he says, the giant comes out to defy the armies of Israel. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Did you hear what David said? David said, this ain't your giant. This is God's giant. And if somebody would just be obedient to trust God, that anybody that tries to come against God is God's going to deal with them. And here, it might not be always that, that, that God's going to take a slingshot and a rock. And I think, like one, one dude I read behind, because he said the giant fell, I think, face forward, said, said that David hit him between the eyes with a rock and God slapped him in the back of the head. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true, but I just... But, but think about it. In essence... It really is true. How many times have you ever seen God do something that you couldn't explain? You've got to discern the difference in life situations. Sometimes there are just things that happen and, 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 and someone else brings them on. Look at the life of Job. We're not going to go there, but you got your reference there. You can read it. And I, I just kind of want to bring things around with this because, like I say, it's going to take us a little while to get through all this. It really is. I'd love, I'm always wanting to give you the full end, but I think we need to go through the process. In Job chapter 19, here Job is. Now, you know the story. If you, if you know it at all, you, you know who ends up, who is the one that initiates what Job goes through? Come on, church. God does. Now, granted, I know that the devil is roaming about. He's trying to find who, who, who he can mess with. And what does God say? Hey, have you considered my servant Job? And here it comes. And you have his wife coming against him, his friends coming against him. 
even he's in physical torment. And, and, and when you read this text, if I remember it correctly, Satan's the one that brought the boils upon his body. He's covered in boils. Everybody around him has just gone against him. And all that we know of, I mean, Job's not perfect, but God saw him as a choice vessel that he was going to allow the enemy to come to. He won't deny me. And I love the picture that one preacher had painted. Now, granted, this is not word for word. This is not in the text. But he just paints the picture. He said, can't you envision Job waking up one morning with cloth wrapped around him and every time he moves is pulling on the boils and the scabs? And he, if he sees something of God, maybe, and he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, everybody has come against him. Other people, he has no, he didn't ask for that. It just came. And it came because God's hand was working for his glory. Job, he's faithful to him, not because the circumstances are good, because the outcome is glorifying to God. I mean, can you imagine? Richie, I wonder sometimes if I could. I mean, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? He has no friends other than God. And God really ain't speaking a lot to him when you read the text. Not that we know of. But what does he know? He knows what he knows. And he lives what he knows. And until God speaks again, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Jesus ain't even come yet. He said, I know he lives. So often in our lives, we, we take circumstances that come against us. We take things and we go, we make a decision. I'm, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to, this is going to happen, or this person's going to pay, or this is going to happen. But have you, have you took godly discernment and I'm telling you right now, I don't know, I've not always done this, but I'm, God's growing me to do it more and more and more that you got to discern things. Well, the, inner, the, the devil's just against me today. Is he, is he really? Or is it just something that you did and you're just suffering the consequences? You know, because you, you and I live in a world today where nobody wants to suffer the consequences for their actions. No, nobody wants to own it. Not even their part. I mean, can, you know, it, they always say it takes two to tango, right? And, and a lot of times, a lot of our situations, there's more than one person involved. And, and, all, and yes, so we start weighing it out. Well, what is this person? I think they've got 70% of it, preacher. And, and, I, and here's somebody else that's got 20%. And I've got 10. And look how things are weighed against me. But what are you doing with your 10? You know, what do you do with your 10%? Did you know that God can take your 10% that you'll be 100% humble with and admit that it's yours and own it before him and he can change 100% of the situation? And he might not. But I promise you this, he's always working for his glory in your life. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, his glory is more important than your happiness. His glory is more important than your happiness or mine. When you look through the Bible, God was not trying to make all of his servants happy. He was out to make his name holy and revered. And I say make his name. His name is holy, but just for his name to be seen as holy and revered. 
That's all the earth, and it stinks. I don't know many spiritual battles that ain't tough. And, 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 and then, well, Genesis 37, you can go, you could look at a young man's life that at the start of his life, walking for the Lord, I say the start of his life, at a point in his life when he was just being obedient, there was time later in his life when he was not as obedient, and it looks like God's favoring him because he's obedient, but the truth is he's really not that really obedient, and God's working something different in his life, but still, at the start of it, here he is, and he, and he just speaks what God says to speak, and his brothers throw him in a, a pit while they wait and figure out what to do with him, and then they sell him off as a slave, and then he ends up in a slave prison, and all he did was say what God said. And there it is. And I say once again, you, you, and, you and I live in a world where the reason that it's popular to preach that God will steal your storms and God will slay your giants is because we do not want to go through the process. We, we don't want to go through. Do you know what? That's, that's where God does some of his greatest works, is it not? Right in the midst of the worst things in your life, God does some of the greatest works. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he said, I strive and I reach for the upward calling, the high calling of Christ Jesus. He suffered reproach. He shipwrecked. He's, he, he's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. Been misunderstood. But what does he do? He presses on. Even has an infirmity, he says. And he says, I won't boast in my strength, but I'll boast in the infirmity. What is he saying? I'll boast in my weakness. Because in my weakness, he's made strong. But see, what we want is the storm to quit. And then we'll be like, oh, when I'm weak, God's strong. <laughs> Did you know it's what God uses to break us to a place to where we be humble enough? And, if, and that's, what he's, that's what he's doing with our country. He's breaking us. How's he breaking us? He puts certain rulers in place sometimes to bless, but then sometimes to break. And here we are just flaunting ourselves at him. And all of the sexual immorality that's in the world, all of the idolatry, all of the profane uh, pushing in the face of God all the profane things of human life, and yet we'll still want to say, well, I pray. I love Jesus. I don't ever do anything for him. I don't read his word, but I love him. I'm talking about as a country. I ain't saying you're that way. I'm just talking about as a country, as a country, as a nation. And we're under judgment And, and, and it ain't even got good yet. But in that, I do believe this, that if his people will discern, or choose to live godly, discern our situations so that everything we do is going to ultimately bring glory to him aside from our happiness, then guess what? I believe that the God of heaven still speaks. I, I believe he still reaches down here. And, can and will bless his people in spite of them in the midst of a crooked, and wor crooked world. If you want to see it happen, research Israel's last big war. And earlier in the 1900s, so research Israel's big war. See, I'm not going into detail because I don't have all the details sitting in front of me, but I can tell you this, there are things there that nobody to this day can explain. Why? Because God is going to protect Israel. He said he would. And he said he's also going to be against anybody that comes against them. And right now, I just want you to know that's us. We are not 
a nation that is being led pro-Israel right now. All that to say, all we can do is own our moment. Own your moment in time right now. And the only way you're going to do that is you're going to have to know what other people have a part in so you can figure out what's your part, what is just the fact that we live in a fallen world, and what's God doing in this, and then figure out our place. I want you to stand with me for just a moment. And as you do, I simply want to encourage you in this, that in all those situations, God does have a plan, and he does care about you. If you're his child, he, he has, a, has a direction for your life. What are you going to do? Where, is, where are the choices going to be made today? You know, what choices do you, what, what do you have to own today so that you might move forward? What do you, what do you need to think about in discerning through things right now? And, and, you know, and one of the greatest things we need to own is it's not about us. That is, we have to get that before we can get anything else. This is not my plan. This is not my, uh, you know, uh, my prerogative. It's not about me. It's about him. And uh, if you need prayer, uh, I, I know folks, I believe folks here are sensitive to those things. If you need to come, you want to come to altar and pray those things about certain situations or about maybe a choice you need to make. And you're just looking for God to strengthen you in a choice you have to make with some things. Um. I'm praying for you because God's way is rarely the easiest way out. Um, and so in that, uh, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're lost today, I can't help but just let you know you can be saved today. You, you can come before him and simply, Lord, I realize my position as a sinner before a holy God, a lawbreaker, I realize that Christ died on the cross, and according to the Scriptures, He is buried, and also according to the Scriptures that he, he rose again on the third day. I'm placing my faith in His finished work to pay my debt on Calvary's cross, that He paid my debt on Calvary's cross. I'm placing my faith there, and I want to follow you as the Lord of my life. If that's something that you take care of today, that's something that happens in your life today, please come let me know. Or if you need any more questions answered about that stuff, please let me know because he desires to uh, have you come to him. And so um, let me pray and we'll sing. Father, let everything that's been said and everything that's been done be for your glory today. And God, in my own heart and in my own life, Lord, help me and help us discern the situations of our lives by trying to cipher out our own part, other people's part, stuff that just happens in this world we live in because it's cursed, and where you're working, God, where are you leading in our lives, and where, what are you allowing in our lives to, to change us, shape us, grow us, and we're going to give you the glory for it in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.